This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year, and amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. I'm thrilled today to be joined by an amazing woman at Ruby Wax, somebody I have admired from afar, been dying to interview and meet, even over Zoom would be nice. She's an American-British actress, comedian, writer, mental health campaigner, lecturer, a writer, author of a brand new book that I have clutched in my hand, which I think is fantastic. And now for the good news to the future with love that came out September 2020. And what a year to bring out a book. Ruby, hi. Tell me about it. Luckily, I, you know, I'd be crazy if I wrote it after lockdown. (laughs) I finished it the day lockdown started. So uh, for the two years before that, I had a really happy time because I thought (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to hear any more crap news, you know, which don't forget before COVID, we were getting death tolls from around the world. And I thought, you know, we are where our attention is. So move your attention, Ruby, and travel around and see where the green shoots are. I don't mean one or two people. I mean, big companies, big schools, uh, communities are, what tech is doing. That's enhancing the human condition rather than sucking it dry. I totally agree and 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 I I loved well I loved so many things but you've talked about I mean we have to talk about 2020 and the whole kind of quarantine thing because you're very funny about it you said you got addicted almost to isolation which made made me laugh because we I don't know if I can ever socialize again no no I didn't get addicted to isolation I got addicted before that to watching bad news humans are creatures of addiction and we love those hits of adrenaline you know it's like we're creating our own Beth lab in our heads yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's shopping or, you know, something startling. And so we want more and more. And I was there. I was waiting for like the death toll, as I said. And that's how we roll. Did you find in isolation? I mean, I know that I would literally in the beginning, I I had the news constantly. I was looking at statistics that I thought... I actually don't even think I've ever understood one of those graphs, but I watched them every day. I didn't really know what they meant. All my husband and I spoke about was statistics. I thought if I told me, if he told me one more statistic, which again, I didn't really understand. And it's, it's detrimental. I mean, you've, you've got a master's degree. I know in like mindfulness based cognitive therapy, which you've got from Oxford. It's amazing. You know about this stuff. This is, it's really powerful. I know what that cortisol does, which we get with that adrenaline kick. And it's not just meant people go, oh, it's mental. Like you made it up. Should I have a mental breakdown or play golf? The mental is the physical. It's a onesie, this misconception. So when you get too much, let's say bad news or whatever, and they're jacking it up. So you watch even more news because that's kind of, we need higher hits. Yeah. Not we, me. Okay. And then what happens is the brain registers the uh, fear and it shoots adrenaline down through the body it's like a pinball machine to the adrenal glands and then it breaks down your immune system and then you're sitting target for your you know we need our immune system certain cancers diabetes to heart disease obesity all of it comes from the mothership and yet people go oh well it's mental like so i mean as much as we can get addicted to threat we can also get addicted to compassion but you have to study it 
Mothers have it with their babies and you have it when you see a cute picture of a kitty. But here's the deal. How do you do it when it's an enemy or somebody's a different color? Talk about compassion. And I love that bit of the book when you said I used to call it the C word. I was actually queasy saying compassion because it's like all those other words. It's like compassion, journey, um, gratitude, all those things. But I, I love that. And then you say, actually, I've realized it is the most crucial thing to have in life. You may get a yacht, a private jet and a partner with no wrinkles, but you'll, you'll be unable to feel real joy. And I thought it's so true, isn't it really? Like you can't do anything without that, to be fair. Again, even if you don't care about being nice, it does create a, another chemical, I'm very into the science of it, called oxytocin. Now that's really good for your health. You want to live a long time. You want to deal with uncertainty. If you switch that stuff on, which mothers automatically have with their kids, because yeah. that's how the baby's brain grows. If you can switch it on, you're healthy. Yeah. And COVID, I guess, was something really that literally made it, yeah, it made it like the hardest time ever to sw switch that on. It made it the hardest time ever, but now we can really see how connected we all are because we all have the same propensity for that yeah. virus. And we work like yeah. neural Wi-Fi. So if I'm listening to you and I'm really listening how you see the world, it passes to you. We're exchanging a hormone that makes us cha-cha together. We yeah. didn't do it on purpose, but community besides mindfulness, when people connect, it gushes. That's yeah. community. And we used to do it hundreds of thousands of years ago, sitting around the fire. That's how people regulated. They went to church before it became fanatical. Um, it was in Quaker meetings. It was in town halls. It was in families, neighborhoods. I had a lot of chats with my mother during this, who's 86, and she kept saying, you know, but we survived the war. And I kept saying to her, but in a war, what you, you, although it wasn't contagious, like everybody was on rations. So people came together and shared their rations and there were street parties and there was this huge sense of community, whereas COVID just put us all in this kind of scary box, but solo. Yeah, yeah with the bombs, you know, to run to the tube station, but with the virus, you know, I see kids and I scream incoming and like hit the deck like I'm in Vietnam. So yeah. who's who's the enemy? The irony is I'm not distracted by a screen because I'm on it. I never thought technology would be a conduit for compassion, but it is. You're so right because you're not distracted because you're physically part of it. I mean, yeah. my husband, who's a businessman, I... I thought he was in Zoom meetings, just kind of like really boring ones. And then only the other day, because I just basically shut the door on him in the morning and like deliver food under the door. And then the other day he was walking up there with like a bottle of red wine. I was like, well, what are you doing? He's like, we're having a wine tasting today, a virtual wine testing, tasting on Zoom just to liven it up a bit. They did group meditation. And this is a businessman. A necessity. We had to make tools. We had to make spears. We had to make iPhones because the world, you know, got too populated. Now we have to have Zoom. It comes out of human need. So yeah. it's no good thing. Oh God, the world's going to end. This is where we are. But it's extraordinary timing of your book because actually to, to talk about how we're going to be kind of working in the future. And I mean, it was, it was just really great timing on your part. You must, I mean, I know you didn't start it in COVID, but like it's really... Yeah, it's just a very clever, clever, clever book on how we can sort yeah, of move forward. Imagine how happy I was, <laughs> you know, to work in certain companies because business, what do I know about business? And suddenly it's like 
everybody's working as a team. They have a mission with, you know, the environment. They work in the local community. A lot of them do, even in Unilever and Ben and Jerry's is really uh, involved with training refugees. And Anglian Water is building a town where nobody speaks English, you know, and is training them. And that makes the employees go, whoa, because people are now putting, it's called purpose in front of profit. Because yeah. millennials will soon have apps to check out if uh, somebody in Vietnam is getting arthritis from sewing in your zipper and your jeans. So it behooves people, it's my new word, to be transparent. Yeah. They better be transparent because we're going to be able to check it out soon. And there's organizations that really make sure people walk the talk. These are big companies. I worked at Patagonia. I fell in love with the owners. It's a sportswear company where their advertisement is in the New York Times. Don't buy any more clothes from us or don't buy this jacket because what they say is if anything you buy gets torn or ripped, send it back. We'll fix it and send it back. Imagine how much money they make. Yeah. Because kids go, wow, what a cool company. And they had one guy I met. He ran the call center and a woman said, my cat just peed on the fleas. Can I get another one? And he said, yeah, what kind of cat have you got? You know, and they walk the talk. There's schools between the buildings where their kids, you know, get taught, you know, when they're young, so they can look down and see those. There's 18,000 applicants for internships for like eight places. Everybody wants to work in Patagonia. And that's been the model for what's possible. So I guess that's the kind of the good of this weird transition we've been through is that there are lessons that have been learned. There are things that have come out of it. There's a good that's come out of it. Well, you know, uh, each man for himself was something. Darwin, I love this, didn't mean survival of the fittest to be the killer, you know, the toughest. He meant those who cooperate best are the ones that survive. And the industrialists like uh, Herbert Spencer changed it so he could justify his greed and say, well, poor people are pulling their weight. So he changed it to the tough guy wins. And then Gordon Gecko said, it is good. And everybody went, isn't that cool? So it's a, it's a misunderstanding. Yeah. You know, we, we got that wrong. And now we have to pull the brake on that because so many CEOs and people in business, just because they get to the top doesn't mean they're healthy. A lot of them get really good at numbers, but not so good in morals. It's a very good way of looking at it. And I love um, another section that really appealed to me because I'm passionate about sort of nutrition and wellness and everything was the whole section on food. Because again, people write about food and, and, and what's good and what's you know, bad, but, but you've written about it in a way that really just was really good to the layman. Do you know what I mean? It was really, really honest how you followed more and more diets that work less and less. We've all been there where those kind of, you know, I remember it made me think of all those titles. I remembered one that I went on. I can't remember what it was, but you just ate like grapefruits and steak. Oh. Yeah, I know. We did it all. Yeah. So now you kind of, you know, you, you've written about all the, you know, the veganism, you know, but the sugar, the probiotics, all these things. How did, how did you sort of come about that? I may take the piss out of the trends, which was including eating tapeworms. And then there's a sleeper. Uh, thing in the 20s where you just went to sleep and lost weight. The rich put themselves <laughs> out. No. And so I'm... I give the history of it. And that's when it's humorous. But then I meet like yeah. the top guy is Tim 
Spectre, he gets probiotics because they now know that you have more neurons in your gut. So what, who you are really is bacteria, but trillions of them. And that can override genes. We only have 20,000 of those, but that gut thing, which I never heard about, if you can grow a variation of them, they're the ones that fight the virus. And yeah. it's in the foothills and people are getting ripped off by taking a pill or drinking something because it only hits like maybe 60,000. There's trillions. But if they figure it out, you know, and they do these fecal transfers, they will yeah. do, where if you're in the hospital, they may take the feces, they don't shove it up your ass, but they may take it <laughs> of a healthy specimen and those wipe it out. Bacteria is what makes you healthy. We used to wash all the dummies and, you know, get your hands clean and sanitized. It turns out now it builds up immunity. But, yeah. you know, I'm not taking veganism's good, vegetarians, whatever suits you. But I like that the state, the latest, I wouldn't say fad, I'd say piece of science and research yeah. shows that we are bacteria and bacteria will survive long after we. Yeah, they do. And I think also, particularly again, with the whole COVID-19 thing, it made us much more aware of our, of how we eat, but in a good way, like we need to eat for our immune system. Like we need to kind of create a healthy environment to try and fight that virus off. So again, that was the good of it because I think people that really hadn't thought about food before, everybody had so much time to time to eat and be at home and eat as a family or eat together. Like all those things I think really changed. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a soccer board every minute. Branding is really responsible. Yeah. You know, when they know how to make the perfect label and the right beautiful people say they take it. Humans, us, normal people, have no way of really finding out what the truth is. We don't know the truth in the news. We don't know the truth in exercise. You know, some people are running 10,000 steps and they're going to die at the 9,999. Yeah. Kicking their little feet saying just one more. <laughs> we just are in the dark ages. Yeah. What's one good for one person? So really... um. I had my bacteria checked, right? And he could say that I don't have enough of this or don't have enough of that, and then give me an anti-inflammatory diet. Okay, yeah. I think it really would affect a lot of people because we all have bacteria. <laughs> yeah. You know, he said, yeah. get as much as you can. And then he said, I was average for England, but ahead of it in America, which shows they're too clean. <laughs> I love that. Well, the other thing I was going to ask you about, I mean, obviously I've watched lots of documentaries, but you and I clearly both watched that one about Paris Hilton. And I wanted to know your view on social media because, you know, I watched that and I was, I was actually quite saddened by it in a way that, that that is that generation and the generations below. And you've got kids and I've got kids where that becomes your friendship group and that becomes your kind of your your world I, I was sort of I was really quite saddened watching that whole interview so I just didn't know what your view was on the whole social media yeah I, th I, thought, I thought it was tragic I mean my kids don't have that they love looking because they like watching cats go down the toilet but yeah. um no she, uh, she gets up in the morning jolts up and then looks how many people love her they don't know mm -hmm. who she is if she died they wouldn't show up at her funeral it was disease ridden and just yeah. pathetic to watch like a graph how much yeah. you loved years ago I took Lily my daughter who was very little I think she was about 10 and we were in LA and 
Paris Hilton arrived like a, a ahead of us and there was this pap action and people screaming and and Lily my daughter starts screaming like she's at a concert do you know what I mean she's going oh my god oh my god this hysteria and then and I thought that's weird because I, I I don't know what she thinks so afterwards I said sweetheart do you do you know who that is she went no no I don't so I said so you're screaming because and she went, everybody else <laughs> was screaming so you see the, like this mass hysteria that evolved from she had no idea who she was and I, I I'm like you I saw that and I thought it's so tragic my kids are like yours they watch and they show me endless videos of cats down toilets or dogs jumping over loo rolls and things like that but to wake up and assess your life on it is is tragic but what else are they going to have I could mention a few other people. They never developed their, they never evolved. And when she's 50, yeah. watch this space. Yeah. Watch when that slides down. You know, they don't know how to get resilience. And that's the tragedy sometimes of very beautiful people that they have to get over this. People are going to stop looking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's tragic. Uh, you know, it's more tragic that somebody doesn't have any money and they're starving, but that's the sickness of the age. Yeah, that's a real sickness. Yeah. Paparazzi had talent. So they could just, you know, they deserved it. Movie stars were movie stars. But to just show up in a bikini. Whoa. <laughs> that's <laughs> and you can't even sing. It really struck me that. And I was like, wow, this is like this is this is not good. And I I loved the green shoots of hope that you talk about in your book. And I was wondering if you, you know, had any examples of like, things of kindness that you'd experienced or sort of because I feel like this whole time has brought out a kindness again another word that I didn't sort of overly use before but it has brought out a kindness in people that I didn't see or maybe I just it was there and I didn't notice it well I didn't notice it because you know I don't have any time I was too busy and then because writing the book I went with I chose my favorite people who I think are the real deal so I went with choose love to Samos why would I ever do that? But when you face these women and they're so beautiful, so beautiful, you know, with their taking their water that they get an inch of and using it to dye their hair. And this beautiful girl who's 17 tells me her husband did a video. He's a rock star in Somalia. And he made a video of uh, a street riot. And then the police came and said, can we have that video? And the husband said, I really don't have it. And they shot her daughter in front of her everybody's got a story uh, and you're listening to it. There's no self-pity, but you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do we not see reality? And I fell in love with these people and I didn't know what else to do because I'm not equipped to build a school. So I said, let's all get manicures, not me. And they were so excited, so excited and saw pictures of these beauties getting their fingernails done because, yeah. you know, humans are human. And yeah. this is, you'll think this, I ran an um, exercise class, right, for them, <laughs> and a mindfulness class. And so we're doing sit-ups, and I did 10, and I said, you know, you're just starting. This might be too much for you. And then I realized they carried their family on their heads. They walked from the Congo to um, Greece, and I'm asking them if the sit-up is too much for them. But I'm still in touch with some of them, and I would go back for that hit I got, my you know, your heart just pumps out that stuff. Yeah. It's really good for your health. Yeah. And the, I was going to say the Frazzle Cafe must be 
because I know you have like 200 people at a time. That must be an incredible. No, about 100. I can only 180, 100. And then in the day, if you want to get on it, there's hosts who take smaller groups. So you can get on any time. But I do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's free. And there's all those faces, every color, every nationality and ethnicity. And they're all listening to each other. And they're not distracted. And their stories are poignant, but they don't go on and on. They just say, here's the weather condition of my mind. And you fall in love with them. Because where do you get people that honest? It's all, you know, Paris Hilton is yeah. extreme, but masks. And now they drop them. And le- that's a lesson on how we better be when we get out of here. I so agree. Because I have to say, my social media experience sort of during COVID, I thought if I see one more, you know, couple who are kind of you know cozy little lockdown with like rose petals on the bed and like another cozy dinner or people that didn't seem to have covid affect them i won't name and shame them but people that were leading a completely normal life I, at one point i doubted my own sanity because i was like how come you're on holiday in europe with no mask and in a cafe and having a little cappuccino and a little macaroon and i'm still in isolation like i couldn't I had to sort of come off that in order just to keep my own sanity. I found it very, it's a challenge. Well, you know, again, every person comes in every flavor. It's the envy that'll kill us. And don't think I don't have it. It's the envy that made me sick. And now I just keep my shutters like this once in a while. I'm part of a WhatsApp group that I don't even answer. And they're all so intelligent and they're quoting the news. And I think I'm throwing up. But sometimes I write a little thing on it going, yeah, and here's a picture of my cat. But <laughs> they're showing off. They're hooking up, you know, so that they have a yeah. very intellectual group there. And I just, I can't do it. I can't, I can't join in this shit anymore. In the book in communities, there was a community. I did look in some communities. Some are in cities. Some are in South London. And by the way, it's free housing, but they know how to get the footprint down and they know how to make a community center. So the mothers take care of each other's kids and the old people have, it doesn't cost anything, just make a center. And they have vegetables growing on their roofs and they know how to conserve, there's no heating bills. This is in South London, but there's another one in Scotland. I just lived there for two months. I worked in the vegetable garden. I don't touch dirt, food to food banks and people were really cool. They uh, all, everybody had a story as to how they got there, and uh, and they were committed to being kind of earthy. They weren't my best friends, but they were kind of not chilled. I hate that word, but they knew themselves and they were grounded, and it was catching. So I I was like sit there listening to their stories, and then oh my god, they know how to make community. There used to be a community hall, but you know because of COVID, they stopped in it. And you would bring food if you wanted, but it's 600 people. This isn't small. This thing works. Yeah. This thing works. You know, a lot of them were professors or lawyers or whatever. You can do it online. But when you saw them, they smiled. Yeah. And you could trust people. Yeah. And that's sort of something you've got to get back to. It's authenticity. It's, it's all- people being, you know, their real selves and, and being the real deal and being what they are. And I guess... You know, I would say about you, you've always been that. When I read about your, oh, and I hate that word journey, but I can't think of another word to describe what you did, but it was, I don't know, not a vacation, but, you know, a journey from your 
you know, dealing with your own mental health issues to like learning about it to, it is incredible what you've done because at the end of it, you've come out and, and are able to just, I think, you know, influence people like me, other people reading your book in a way that's just truly real because people didn't see it in you, in, in your shows and things. I grew up, you know, loving what you did on television and everything. And I didn't see, you know, you, you disguised it very well is what I'm trying to say. Well, I wasn't, I, you know, people say, were you depressed? I said, you can't do a show when you're depressed. It's a brain disease. You would be unable to move or open your mouth. But luckily I never, I didn't work every day. You know what I mean? So luck had it that I was ill when I wasn't on TV, but I was screwed up and I had, it just worked for me. You know, a lot of uh, my insanity and my need for attention just happened to work at that time and kind of daring, but it was crazy. And that's perfect for when you're 20. Then when you turn 40, you better shift those dials. Otherwise you're imitating what you used to be like. And that's tragic. Then by 50, I got fired because you know, you're not allowed to be on TV when you're 50. And then um, I decided to reinvent because I think I had a brain, but I was sitting on it. So then I thought, yeah, now let's jump on this one. And, uh, I got obsessed with neuroscience. I mean, go figure. And then I wrote comedy with neuroscience after Oxford. And that was really yeah. a kick. That was a kick. That's um, when I was really fat, unbelievably happy. Unbelievably. <laughs> people didn't come up anymore afterwards and go, ha ha, you were so funny. They'd come up and go, tell me about that. Or thanks for mentioning mental illness and thanks for, you know, whatever. And that's much better food than just, you were so funny when you went into Fergie's drawers. Well, it was funny at 20. Yeah. And yeah. I think also, I think it was a, you know, there was a time for that, particularly, you know, talking about TV, I can totally, you know, I'm 55 and you're right. Everybody gets fired at 50 from TV, hence Thank God for podcasting. Um, but, uh, but I think that, you know, the fact that you've been able to sort of do it, I can, I can totally see how it feeds your soul so much more by doing this than doing what you were doing back when you were 20. You couldn't do it. It's cute when you're 20. And then when you, you see these old comedians and they're sort of imitating what they used to do, and it's tragedy. <laughs> and then they have a heart attack because... You know what I mean? They're not expressing themselves. A lot of them at a certain age have heart attacks because you're yeah. imitating who you be when you're 20. You have to keep it in your pants, you know, any maturity or anything real or whatever. I'm not saying I'm going to have a heart attack, but it's just so it's really empty. You can't talk about diets and dating when you're 50. No, not that I ever and did. But um, so moving, moving forwards, Ruby, what are your kind of next plans are we are we do you love do you love the process of doing a book or do you do you prefer doing the the frazzled cafe and the kind of getting out there and doing that kind of community project or do you like a blend of all of them well i used to love touring and the last tour was with a monk and a neuroscientist and we went for 200 shows around the country hysterical it was like having the best girlfriends ever and we'd stay in like sometimes great hotels and we'd eat in restaurants and they'd go, I'd drag them to go shopping with me. And when I wanted to return something, they, people don't let you return stuff, but I'd use the monk and he could get even returns in, in uh, TK Maxx because they're not <laughs> going to argue with the monk. I was so happy. 
touring really makes me happy. Well, that's over. So now, um, yeah, Frazzle makes me feel part of a community. And then I am going to start, it's not a podcast, it's a platform where I teach mindfulness and also do shows once a month. And that comes out, that'll be coming out. So oh, that means great. I own it. You know, and I get to do the smart stuff and the funny stuff. But I'm doing, first I'm teaching mindfulness in February. So I'm going to yeah. do that, but I can make it funny. So you're combining, like my book Frazzled, you're combining like mind and yeah. and comedy. I think when people are laughing, you can teach them anything. So I'm going to be doing that in February. I think you're right. I think the combination of, of, of laughter being the best medicine, but alongside scientific fact is, is, is a winning combination. Nobody can take your job and you can't be fired because there's no age limit to that. You could do that when you're 90. Yeah. If I make it through COVID, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to ask you just quickly, what... Two, two questions that I ask all my guests. What, what gives you life? I mean, I'm sure a lot of what you've said to me today, but what gives you life? When I meet somebody who's also interested and I'm interested in them, and then we turn each other's chemicals on and that fuels me, I get drained by people who I have to fake it with. So, you know, it could be somebody on the bus that suddenly you're, you're engaged. Like I feel, you know, kind of engaged with you, even though I've had a shit day. Oh, good. You know, it's big. Yeah. So I'm on, you know, and you're pulling it. You know, It's like we're playing really good ping pong. Yeah. So that kills me. Yeah. And then I'm being in a community like I just was in Scotland. And I did. Who knew? Growing vegetables. Ask (laughs) your sister. Do I look like the type to grow vegetables? But while I was picking the tomatoes and it was going to a food bank, I felt this weird thing on my face. I thought I had like an illness and I felt it and I was smiling. (laughs) you haven't bragged though i want to know what you grew like are we talking like those those ones you see in comedy shows where somebody grows a marrow that's like five feet long oh no we're talking i had to do weeding you know this is a big farm okay and i i didn't know weeding in the beginning so i weeded up the rocket Uh, i had to put it back (laughs) so it isn't just doing little plants this is an industry and i loved i had this kind of eco warrior woman that was my mentor People used to say, do that. Then I went cold water swimming. Then I hiked in the highlands. And I didn't know I was Earth Woman. And I was really happy. And then I do frazzled in the evening and I'm with my people. Love it. And the people are not mentally ill. They're frazzled. Everybody's frazzled. They're living with five kids and a husband. And they say, is it bad if I kill them? Somebody else never spoke before. She did sign language because she didn't want anybody to know what she was feeling. And now she's talking. You know, there's every predicament, but they're so honest. And it feels like maybe what church was like. But at the end, you start laughing. You start getting into it. And what about what feeds your soul? Is what what kind of... Well, I do my... Yeah. And what about like, you know, is there a mantra? I'm dying to know if there's a sort of some kind of mantra that you live by or no. You just... No, no. I mean, the one they teach at Oxford is very much to do with developing uh, self-regulation, meaning you can get the cortisol down and focusing your attention when you want, and that's my definition of happiness. And also when you do the exercise, without being fluffy, you get the ability to sometimes intentionally become present. You can't be present all the time because humans would just grind to a halt. But you know, if you're on holiday and your mind is in the office, you might as well get on the plane because wherever you're uh, thinking, that's where you are. So again, with the book, 
And now for the good news, it was easier to change my attention. Otherwise, I'd still keep doing the same old, same old, because we're creatures of habit. And I would have said, oh, yeah, go to a dinner party. Let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about the environment. So now I'm in a community where they know how to do whatever sustainability is. And I think, did I say it before? Shut up or do it. Yes. <laughs> you know, talk about the refugees. Go meet them. Yeah. I can't help it. I don't want to have dinner party like this anymore. No, I no, I, I think that's amazing. And I know you also... Um, in your credits at the back, you talk about Anthony Selden um, is somebody that you, you know, put in the in in the back. I saw in the back of your book that you kind of made reference to. And he, my son, was lucky enough to be at Wellington when he was the headmaster. Wow. For those who don't know him, he was extraordinary. And as a headmaster, he was just he was just genius. He was genius with those kids. My son actually learned mindfulness at a school. Can you believe that they did mindfulness classes, yeah. which was. Yeah, Yeah, but he was so ahead of his time. And the the most amazing thing that he did, which I just think you'd love, is that that it was a boarding school. And on the very first day, obviously, I was sobbing. And they do this huge sort of thing with parents. And he stood up and spoke. And he said, is anybody here homesick or thinks they might get homesick or is nervous about this? And all these little kind of kids in their sort of brand new uniform didn't do anything because they were sort of too frightened to put their hand up. And finally, sort of a couple of little kids sort of almost put, he said, okay, well, it doesn't really matter. He said, what I'm telling you is that if you feel homesick at any time, you go to a teacher, you go to a friend, you go to anybody and you just go home. I don't want anybody to feel homesick. So you just just go home and you can go home. And when you feel better, you can come back. And you saw, yeah. you physically saw these faces, right? Go, what? And afterwards I went yeah. up to him and I said, that was genius. I said, does it work? And he said, I've been here. At that point, he'd been there like seven years. And he said, one boy went home for the afternoon. I mean, how brilliant. He said, and, we've, and, and nothing happened. And my son was never homesick because he knew he could come home. Yeah. Well, and I feel it made me passionate that education had to include mindfulness. That's my long way of saying I think it has to include it because I think all of those things are, they've got to be curriculum. And, and they are, you know, in a lot of schools. And so I visited some, and again, state schools, so you don't have to be posh. These kids are from deprived neighborhoods where I visited, and their grades are up because they understand now I'm getting a red mist. I, I'm too... They can measure how crazy, you know, how filled with frazzled their brain is. So the teachers say, stop. They go to the corner. They look at a a chart with red, yellow, green. They know they're in red. And then they've been trained to either use breathing balls or they have a jar that they shake. And it's all the, the glitter goes all over the place. And as it settles, they've trained their mind to settle. And when they know they're green, they go and sit down again. Yep. Amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then they teach their parents and their parents on crack or whatever. And those parents built them a Zen den where they come and meditate with them. So that's amazing. I'm pretty, so thrilled to hear that because oh, I think it's, it's incredible yeah. that Ruby, you've been such a joy to chat to. You've definitely, I've definitely got more oxytocin chatting to you today than I've had for a long Me time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've <got> the perfume. <laughs> So thank you so much. And, and, and the book, I love the book. It's going to be, you know, a gift I give to other people as well, because I think it's such a great book. And, and I, um, 
yeah, I can't wait to see more of what you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review and you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.